Well, this past summer, uh, we've been working through Psalm 23, uh, this wonderful song that tells us about how God is our good shepherd who leads us through life, even through our darkest valleys, to bring us to his eternal home forever. Uh, If you haven't listened to those sermons, I commend them to you on our podcast. But you know, one of the challenges of being sheep uh, is that we are easily distracted. I've read that sheep will often wander off on their own in search of greener pastures, uh, so much so that they will sometimes fall into a ditch or even walk right off a cliff uh, just in their attempt to find something better. You know, rather than seeing all that our shepherd has provided, so often we are looking over our shoulders, right? We're wondering if there are greener pastures out there. You know, when you're, you know what this feels like when you're young, you're constantly thinking, I I can't wait until I'm older, right? I can't wait until I finish this degree. I can't wait until I'm married. I can't wait till I have a home of my own. Then I will be satisfied. Of course, when you get to those points, then you're constantly comparing yourself to others. Why can't I have that guy's home? Why can't I have that person's career, that person's family? Of course, until you get older and you start having a midlife crisis uh, and you, you know, you've achieved your goals, made it to the finish line, and you start thinking, is this all there is? There's got to be something more. You know, whether it's the restlessness of our youth or our constant comparison with others, or the crisis of midlife. I mean, whatever other stage of life, we are always in search of more. And all this makes it so easy for us to wander away from the Good Shepherd who's trying to lead us along. As we sing in the hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Is there any solution to our dissatisfied hearts? You know, how, how do we know that we won't someday make a mess of our lives and, and leave our good shepherd? This morning, we begin a, a new series, an occasional series, working through the book of Hebrews. Uh, And the book of Hebrews was written precisely to help wandering Christians like us to persevere in the Christian life, to help us make it to the end, make it to God's eternal home. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, you can find it in the blue pew Bibles in front of you also. Does anybody have a page number, pew Bibles? Okay, whatever that was. One, <laughs> 1,001, thank you. One, hey, it's the same number as my Bible. That's cool. Keep that in mind. All right, 1,001. Um, the letter to the Hebrews. We actually don't know uh, the author of this letter. He appears to have been associated with Paul. His teaching certainly reflects Paul's teaching. But more than just a letter, this, this reads like a sermon. Uh, You know, apparently, even the early Christians were starting to falter in their Christian walk. After having followed Christ for many years, 
it seems that that initial excitement has begun to fade, even as persecution continues with no end in sight. They were starting to drift from Christ, starting to look for something better. And so the author delivers this sermon, this letter, to encourage these early saints to come back to Christ, to to persevere in Christ. And what they needed to hear back then is exactly what we need to hear today. You know, we all come from all kinds of backgrounds. We face all kinds of different challenges. But the author here has the one solution to help us make it to the end. To know and to love Jesus more. That's what we all need. The one thing to help us make it to the end is to know and to love Jesus more and more. To come to a deeper and fuller knowledge of the Son. Who He is. What He has done for us. And so to love him and trust him more. Because when we come to know Jesus, then we come to realize there there is nothing better. There are no greener pastures. We've arrived. Jesus is the greatest, the most satisfying Savior that God could have ever provided. So let me assure you, despite all the restlessness of your heart today, this morning, There is more than enough glory and beauty and goodness in Jesus to satisfy you for the rest of your life and into eternity. So my prayer this morning for myself, for us, is that we would delight in Jesus more. If if the Christian life for you has become routine or stale or dry, I pray this morning that the Spirit would spark the fire of your affection for Christ once again. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. I pray that you would be introduced to the utterly unique person of Jesus Christ this morning and that you would come to love him even for the very first time. All right, so look with me. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. All right, so if you're taking notes this morning, here's my outline. Jesus is God's final word about himself, about our lives, and about our salvation. You see it in the screen behind me. Jesus is God's final word about himself, about our lives, and about our salvation. God has nothing better to say to you than this amazing message about his son. So are you listening? Number one, Jesus is God's final word. We see this in verse one. In verse two, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
you know, the writer here comes from a Jewish background, and he's really summarizing the whole story of the Bible in this one sentence. Long ago, God spoke to the nation of Israel through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. One of the most foundational truths that the Bible reveals is that God speaks to man. God speaks to us. Uh, Think back to the book of Genesis, there in the garden, out of all the creatures that God made, he speaks only to Adam. And, And Adam only has the unique responsibility to respond to God's word. Out of all the creatures that God created, Adam has a unique relationship with God. Uh, God initiates by speaking. Adam responds, this, this wonderful and weighty stewardship of responding then to what God has said. Depending on how Adam responds, there would either be a loving relationship with God or there would be alienation and hostility. I mean, I, I just want you to pause and reflect for a second how wonderful it is that the God of the universe speaks to you. You know, speaking means the possibility of a relationship. Uh, It's through exchanging words that we deepen in our knowledge and union with another person. Uh, Men, we we are slower to get this, uh, but women understand this. Words are important. Communication matters because you need communication to have a relationship. You know, you might say, well, I've got a wonderful relationship with my dog. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't speak. We, we have an understanding. Yeah, that's probably true to an extent. <clears throat> but I bet if you walked home, if you walked in the front door after church today and your dog turns to you and says, hey, how was church this morning? <laughs> like that, your relationship with your dog would go to a different level, right? <laughs> Friends, the God of the universe is not silent. He speaks. Which means if we're going to have a relationship with, us, with him, It's not for us to invent our ideas about God. It's not for us to tell God what he should be like. Rather, if God speaks, then our job is to listen. It's our job to do all that we can to try to understand what he's saying. And if we want a a relationship with him, we got to take those words on board and allow that to shape our lives. Sadly, the, the story of the Old Testament is filled with stories of those who failed to listen to God's word. Out of all the nations of the world, it was to the descendants of Abraham, to Israel, that God revealed his word to. They had the privilege of hearing God's voice from Mount Sinai. And and as we saw there in Deuteronomy 18, in in the passage we read earlier in the service, they were terrified when they heard God's voice. They begged God not to speak to them directly anymore. And so God, in his kindness, began to speak to his people through a mediator, through, through Moses and through the prophets that would come after him. As those who had God's word, Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests, those who were changed by that word and then proclaiming that word to the nations as a display of his glory. The people of Israel, their success depended not on their military might or their foreign diplomacy, but on what they would do with God's word. If they would live according to it or not. And tragically, they rejected. They rejected God's word. They turned away prophet after prophet. 
persecuting them, even putting them to death. Instead of listening to God's voice, they, they went after the voices of the nations around them. And for that, they were judged. They were separated, cast out from God's presence, exiled. And yet, like we read in Deuteronomy 18, the prophets foretold a day when God would speak a better word, a more powerful word. And with the coming of Jesus, nothing would be the same again. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Who is the son? Well, the writer is talking about Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to see that later in this letter. Jesus, the son of God. The son is the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity that we confessed in the Nicene Creed. And yet who was incarnate 2,000 years ago, joining himself to our humanity. He was born to Joseph and to Mary from the village of Nazareth. Truly human in every way that we are human. And yet also truly God. As the God-man, Jesus is the culmination, the climax of what God has to say to humanity. That's why we are in the last days. Because with the coming of Jesus, all of God's promises and all of his purposes have been fulfilled. I think sometimes we read the stories of the Old Testament saints and we think, man, those guys are lucky. If only, we, if only I'd been in the garden and got to hear the voice of God. If only I'd been there on, on Sinai and heard God speaking from the mountain. If only I had a prophet who could come and speak to me from God. Brothers and sisters, what we have heard in the Son is infinitely more glorious than anything the Old Testament saints ever encountered. What a privilege to live in these last days on this side of the cross, to be among those whom God has spoken to through his Son. To be sure, I don't mean that what we have heard is more inspired or more, or more divine than what they received. No, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. We never want to pit the Old Testament against the New Testament. And yet, in meeting Jesus, we have encountered the climax, the fulfillment of all that God is about. The mystery that was hidden for ages that all the ancients longed to see This has now been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is why Christians are a people of the book. That's what the world calls us. We are a people of the book. We are devoted to God's word because we are devoted to listening to the God who speaks. So Christian, are, are you making time to listen to God? You know, 30 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, Whatever it is, setting aside a day of the week to be in God's word. Make time not only to read God's word, but but to study it, to reflect on it, to allow it to shape you. Find other Christians to help you to do that. And as you read, never lose sight of the fact that you're not just studying a book. You're getting to know the Son. In this book, God is speaking to you. He, He wants to give you His Son like a letter from a loving father, like like a love letter from an affectionate spouse. This is so much more than just a document, a book. No, this is an expression of God's love to you. 
Every word of the Bible is God giving you his son. And so let's take it all in. Which raises the question then, who is the son? Point number two, Jesus is God's final word about himself. Right? Look, look again, verse two. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then look down at verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. How do we know that Jesus is God's final word? Well, it's because of who Jesus is. In the Son, God reveals himself to us. That's what we see there in verse 3. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The author here is pointing to one of the most foundational Christian beliefs. Uh, When the disciples first met Jesus, they thought that he was, you know, at best, a remarkable rabbi. You know, he could perform miracles. He taught with authority. You know, like John the Baptist or one of the prophets of old. But then as they kept following him for three years, they saw him do the kinds of things that only God could do. Jesus went around and he claimed to be able to forgive sin. Uh, he would walk on water and calm the storms. He would heal the blind, raise the dead. And most of all, as they watched him give his life on the cross and then rise from the dead, these monotheistic Jews became convinced, this Jesus, he is Lord. He is God. This has been the witness of the apostles from the very beginning. There are going to be scholars out there that you're going to encounter who, are, who will say things like, you know, this idea of Jesus being divine is a much later idea. It, it was developed in the fourth century as Emperor Constantine comes along and imposes this on the church. You know, that, that's just utterly false. I mean, right here in front of us is a first century document making it clear that, that these early Christians believed that the Son is God. The Son is the exact imprint of God's nature. What is God's nature? Well, it's his divine nature. God is God. He he exists on a whole different order of existence than we do. Supposedly, in 1961, when the first Russian cosmonaut went up into space, he said something like, I went up into space and I didn't see God. You know, that's, I think, how so many people think about God. Right? They, they think of God simply as someone who is kind of bigger and smarter and stronger than we are. If you just travel far enough or you do enough good works or you meditate enough, eventually you'll find God. No, no. God is not a creature. God, God reveals himself to be utterly and totally in a class all by himself. When, when the Bible speaks of God as he is in his nature, in his essence, The Bible reveals God to be one who is infinitely greater than anything we can imagine. You know, have you ever noticed how so often when we talk about God, we we have an easier time saying what God is not than what he actually is, 
right? I, I, even as I use the word, God is infinite. Like, well, that means he's not finite, right? But, but what does that mean? Uh, do, do any of us have any idea what infinity is, right? I, I can maybe put my, my head around like billions and billions of grains of sand, but an infinite number of grains of sand? I mean, like, I don't know what that means, right? I can't comprehend that. Uh, God, God is infinite. God is immortal. He is not only alive. He, he is the source of all life. He's the wellspring of eternal life. God is eternal. He, he's not bound by time. But again, what does that even mean? He, he not only spans all time, he transcends time. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, infinite power. He creates out of nothing. He is all-knowing, infinite in knowledge and understanding. He is omnipresent. He, he does not inha- simply inhabit all spaces. He transcends any space. God is immutable. He never changes. He never suffers change because he's utterly complete and perfect and self-sufficient and joyful in every way. Friends, when we speak of God as he is, we're not just talking about a creaturely God who is fickle, who, who is limited by our foibles like the gods of ancient mythology. No, we are talking about the one true God, the holy, holy, holy creator, the very ground of our existence. His power and his wisdom have no end. There is an infinite division between him and us. And what the author is saying here is that the son was not just a prophet or an angel. No, he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Right? He shares in God's divine nature. Think of a, a king's signet ring pressing into a wax seal so that once that seal has the imprint of that ring, it carries all the, the same authority and power of the king. Or think of the way a, a son looks like his dad, right? He carries the image of his dad, has his dad's personality and character. Jesus is the exact image of his father. You know, all this is what Christians have called the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, in the Bible's teaching about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have two ideas. That the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are distinct from one another. And yet, in their essence, in their nature, they are one. One God, three persons. Somehow, distinction and unity together. This is what we just confess in the Nicene Creed, right? The one Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, begotten from the Father, from the essence of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. You know, that phrase, light from light, that comes from Hebrews. That comes from this passage. The sun is the radiance of the glory of God. Think of, think of the radiance that shines from the sun, S-U-N. Uh, can you look at the sun and not see its brightness? No, of course not. Right? The, the, sun, uh, the brightness of the sun is one with the sun. And yet that radiance reaches us. Millions and millions of miles away. 
Well, the sun, S-O-N, is the very radiance of the Father's glory. The sun shines forth with all of God's glory. Light from light, true God from true God. These images that I'm giving you, the ring and the, and the seal, the sun and the sunbeams, you know, at the end of the day, actually, these are images that still ultimately fall short. Uh, there is nothing in the world that exactly portrays the mystery of the Trinity. Three persons in distinction and yet one in perfect unity. And we're not surprised by that. God is an utterly unique and transcendent being. There is no one like him. And so it does not surprise us that God is Trinity. And yet the Trinity is not a puzzle to be figured out. No, it is a wonder to be marveled at. In every way that the Father is God, the Son is God. And it is the Son who came down from heaven and joined himself to us forever in the person of Jesus. Friends, Warnall Road Baptist Church, along with Christians from every century, we stand on the belief that Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 2,000 years ago, is the Son of God. We stand on the belief that when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Look at the Son. Jesus is God's final word about himself. See him having compassion on that bleeding woman. And healing her. See him stooping down to touch those who are unclean, those lepers. See him feeding the hungry crowds and then walking on the water, showing his authority and power. See him weeping at Lazarus' grave and then thundering against the Pharisees. See him nailed to the cross, praying for our forgiveness. See him rising from the dead in triumph. This is what God looks like. This is the glory of God on display. You know, the world considers all this foolishness. They would not have expected this. But as Christians, here, here we take our stand, right? Jesus is God. And friend, the only way you will ever remain steadfast in the Christian faith is if you have this highest view of Jesus. Now, every other religion in the world will downgrade Jesus into something less. Mormonism teaches that Jesus was created like the angels, and therefore Joseph Smith has come to bring us a greater revelation. Islam teaches that Jesus was a great prophet, and therefore Muhammad is an even greater prophet. He brings us the climax of God's revelation. You know, Protestant liberalism teaches that Jesus was just a wise teacher. And therefore, they put human reason as the final authority. Roman Catholicism. They, they may confess the Trinity on paper, but functionally, they exalt the worship of Mary and the saints in many ways alongside the worship of Jesus. And in many ways, the Pope becomes that final authority. Cults like Scientology, they all minimize Jesus in order to exalt their cult leaders. I mean, we can just keep going on and on and on. All of these, they think that they are speaking of Jesus in very flattering, very honoring terms. But in fact, 
They are degrading him from whom he truly is. And then once they do that, they go on to provide another savior. All of them fail to rightly confess that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is who he said he is, then there can be nothing greater to come. He is the absolute greatest word that God could have ever spoken. And point number three, Jesus then is also God's final word about us, about our lives. Right? We've looked at how the son relates to God. Now I want us to think about how the son relates to us. Look again at verse two. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There at the end of verse three. So first of all, we see that the son is our creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yet we see that upon creating the world, the world was formless and void. How does God bring order and life into the world? He does so by speaking. It is as God speaks that the world as we know it comes into being, takes on its shape, begins to be filled with life. God's word creates. You know, the Old Testament is filled with these wonderful glimpses of the word as the creator. You remember when I preached in the spring back on Proverbs 8, uh, how wisdom is personified as this master workman along, working alongside God in creation. We also see in the Old Testament, God's word personified. Isaiah 55, 11, My word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. With the coming of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, as the apostles reflected on the Old Testament teaching and on Christ, they began to see that the Son is the Word of God. And so at the opening of the Gospel of John, the apostle writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, the eternal word, God's workman, the agent of creation that we see in the Old Testament. And that creator came down to his creation. Uh, what an amazing thing when we read the story of Jesus to realize that he is walking among those that he made, right? This is his creation. Uh, I love how um, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in Jesus' storybook Bible, when Jesus calms the storm. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And then the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the beginning. They listened to Jesus, and they did what he said. I love that. Uh, you know, friends, that's true for the wind and the waves. And that's true for you and me. We have a maker. His name is Jesus. We all know how important role our parents play in our lives in shaping our identity and directing our future for good or for ill. How much more important it is that we know our maker. 
right? The one who, who created us. And Jesus is not only our creator, but he's our sustainer. We see there at the end of verse 3, the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power. Some people have wondered if God is not more like a, uh, a divine watchmaker who, who creates the universe, winds the clock, and just lets it run. You know, that's an interesting theory, but it's clearly not what the Bible teaches. Here we encounter a God who actively upholds the universe by the word of his power. The only reason the atoms of this pulpit are not just sort of flying off into space is because the sun at this very moment is holding it all together. In other words, you do not have an existence of yourself apart from the gracious upholding power of the sun. If God were to ever somehow just leave the universe to run on its own, we would all just cease to exist. Every second of our existence is God graciously sustaining us. And not only is he sustaining us, not only is he our creator, but we see there in verse 2, we are his inheritance, whom he appointed the heir of all things. You know, our first parents were created to rule this world. And yet in their rebellion, they forfeited their inheritance. But now here we see the son joined to our humanity by his life and death and resurrection. Jesus has regained the reward that humanity lost in the fall. Everything now belongs to him. And the day will soon come when Jesus will return and reclaim the universe that is rightfully his. So if you've ever wondered... Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's the meaning of this universe? Here's the answer. It all exists for the Son. It's all His. He made it. He sustains it. And it's going to be His treasured possession forever. Everything exists for Him. You know, I don't know if that answer is satisfying to you. Uh, The alternative is that we would sometimes prefer to think that it all exists for us or for me. I made my own world. I sustain my own existence and it all belongs to me. (laughs) On the surface, that may seem like a far more satisfying way to explain the universe. It's certainly our default perspective. But the truth is, none of us are strong enough to bear the weight of our longing for meaning. Uh, We were not made to do so. Our, Our capacity for joy is too small. Our restlessness is unquenchable. And then soon death comes and puts us all in our place. No, friends, your restlessness, your frailty, all exist to point you to someone greater. They exist to point you to the Son. You exist not for yourself, but for him. And so does this universe. What does that mean for our lives? What would it look like for us to live in light of this truth? Well, for one, it means that everything we own belongs to him. Right? Let's think about our possessions, all that we have. Think of something that you especially love that, that belongs to you. You know, when I thought of this, I, I, uh, I was looking over my backyard 
And I thought, yeah, I, I love my backyard. Uh, it's not that big, but, you know, it's, it's enough for me to work on it. Uh, I like mowing my lawn. Um, I, I've, I've started a little raised garden bed with tomatoes in it. I've got my compost pile there in the corner. I've got large trees on my property. So there are squirrels. I like to put bird feeders up and attract the, the birds and the hummingbirds. Uh, this week, I even found a turtle that I brought to my backyard. And unfortunately, it escaped. <laughs> you know, th- there's nothing like just sitting on my patio after I've just cut the grass. Like a feeling, a sense of accomplishment. The kids are playing on the rope swing or jumping on the trampoline. Yeah, I'm grateful. I'm very grateful for that gift. But the truth is, the day will one day come when I will have to pass it on to someone else. You know, when I arrived, when we bought our home, the previous owner had just totally trashed that yard. It was filled with dog poop. It was disgusting. You know, who knows what the next owner will do to it, right? And who knows what distant future, what developer will one day come and just like kind of pave it all into some parking lot. You know, this, this is true not only for my backyard, but with all that I own. How do I make sense of all this? Well, three things. First of all, while I have this backyard today, I want to use it for the glory of Jesus. Uh, I want to use the backyard to help me cultivate my love of the creator. He made it. He sustains it. It exists to point me to him. That I might enjoy it for his sake. Uh, that I would turn my attention to the, not to the gift, but to the giver. Second of all, it reminds me that I am a steward of this gift. I want to use this backyard to serve others. right? To train my children. To, to get to know my neighbors. To, to, to invite them over. Uh, to show kindness to the neighborhood kids as they jump on the trampoline. Uh, to host my small group. You know, whatever work I do on my yard, it's not simply for my enjoyment to keep it like this pristine yard. No, it's, it's meant to be spent for the glory of Jesus. And then finally, number three, even though I will one day have to give it all up, I take comfort that that little plot of land belongs to Christ. Uh, and one day Jesus will come back and he will restore all that death and the fall took away. And all the good things that I loved will be restored. All the good things that we loved will be restored to us 10,000 fold. And they will be far better than we could have ever imagined. You know, all that you have, how can you steward them in a way that shows that you believe that Jesus is the meaning of the universe, not you? Jesus is not only the heir of all of our possessions, but he's also the heir of all of our suffering. Knowing that Jesus is our creator, sustainer, and inheritor, what difference does it make for all of our suffering? You know, we live in this world cursed by suffering and death, and yet, in God's amazing wisdom, suffering and death also have a role to play in our lives. They are God's kind discipline to show us our need of a Savior. The suffering that you are going through exists for Jesus. Meaning, they exist to bring you to an end of yourself and to find Christ as being utterly satisfying and sufficient.
You know, I think of <clears throat> Joni Erickson Tata. Uh, she was a teenager when she tragically became a paraplegic in a diving accident. And in her despair, as she found herself paralyzed, she cast herself entirely on Christ. And she found him to be an all-sufficient Savior. She's had an amazing ministry of helping people entrust their suffering to Jesus. She writes this in one of her books. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct. But I hope to bring it and to put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands. And I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You are right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It would never have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin and all of earth will join in the party. And at that point, Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we have ever experienced on earth. And when we are able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus really will wipe away all our tears. I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. Well, God has appointed Jesus the heir of all things. And that means that Jesus will one day inherit all of our wheelchairs, all of our cancer beds, all of our regrets and tears and coffins. And he will turn them into sources of everlasting joy and praise. All that brought us grief and suffering in this life will be utterly redeemed to make our laughter that much louder when we are united to him. So brother and sister, do not lose heart. There is meaning to this universe and it all belongs to Jesus. Cling to him who made you, who sustains you and who will redeem you and all your sorrows. Jesus is God's final word about our lives. Which brings us to our conclusion, point number four, much more briefly. Jesus is God's final word about our salvation. Verse three, after making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You know, purification is not a word that we use very much. Uh, it's an appropriate word for the salvation that Jesus has brought. You know, before God, we are not just guilty. We're unclean. We're shameful. We're not just unclean on the outside, sort of a, a ceremonial uncleanness. No, we're filthy on the inside. There's something revolting about our condition. Shameful. We look all cleaned up on the outside, but God sees us as we are. I think of that gym, gymnastics coach 
who was accused of countless counts of abuse. And as, as witness after witness testified about his crimes, he was unclean. No one wanted anything to do with him. That's what it means to be unclean. And friends, one day all of us will stand trial. God will be the judge. The books will be open. And before the angels and the whole universe, we will be shown to be the unclean, shameful people that we are. And yet here comes Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect one. He has the perfect purity and holiness of God himself. And yet, incredibly, he doesn't stay away. No, he draws near to us. He joins himself to our humanity. He takes on our human nature. Why? So that he can come and make purification for our sins. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't just give us instructions for how to clean ourselves up. No, he purifies us by clothing us, clothing our nakedness with his perfect righteousness. And in exchange, he takes upon himself our filthiness and bearing our sins. He goes to the cross. He bears the wrath of God and he dies the death that we deserve. He takes our sins down to the grave, never to haunt us again. And yet three days later, Jesus rises from the dead in victory over sin, ascends to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And now, to all of us here, to sinners everywhere, God the Father has something to say to us. He has a message to give to us. For all of our sins, for all of our fears, God says, repent of your sins. Trust in my son and be reconciled to me. Be forgiven of all your sins. Be made clean. There is no filth. There is no sin that the son, the radiance of God's glory cannot clean, cannot wash away. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what you have done, you can be forgiven. The exact imprint of God's nations, the nature, the radiance of God's glory. He has come for you. This is God's final word about your salvation. There is no further word to come. There is no greater prophet. There is no greater angel. The son is God's word to you about how you can be made right with him forever. You know, outside of this word, if you say, yeah, that's interesting, but I'm going to go somewhere else. Outside of this word, there's only the blackness of despair. But if you receive this word, you come to realize that we live in the best of all possible worlds. What a wonderful world that we live in, that there is a God who would love us so much that he would send his son for us to unite us to himself, that we might live with him forever. What better word could you want? Why would you ever want anything else? Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who, is, who speaks. And Lord, you could have said any number of things to us. Oh Lord, we deserve something far worse for all of our sins. And yet, Lord, in your kindness, you have spoken to us by your Son. You have given us of your very best. You have given us all that you have to give. And in giving him, you have provided for all that we need for time and eternity to live with you in joy forever. Oh, Lord, help us to hear. Help us to to take this on board, to believe this down to the depths of our hearts. Oh, Lord, for all of our fears, for all of our guilt, for our anxieties, for our suffering, Lord, help us to hear the word of your Son for us. Lord, that we would have hope. And Lord, that our lives would be changed. Oh God, may we be a people who receive this word and who then go on to speak this word to others. Even this week, Lord, help us. Help us to hear you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.